While fleeing Apaches, this gentleman from Virginia found a strangely shimmering cave. When he entered it, he discovered his body had somehow split in two. One form lay dead on the cave floor, while the other was mystically transported through time and space to the planet Mars. Stan Lee presents Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 92, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, Issue 17, What Price Victory? The Master Assassin of Mars, Chapter 2. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Comic Book Time Machine Presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, a comic book fan, a comic book writer, and a fan of Marvel's Cosmic Comics. And some of the fandom that I have is very, very, very new, and some of the fandom that I have is very, very, very old. And what we're looking at right now, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, the comic book series, is a new fandom that I have. I should say... Well, not new. I mean, I've been doing this for a long while now, but I wasn't a fan of this until I discovered it because I was doing this podcast. And this podcast covers comics that have to do with Marvel's licensed comic books, where they have taken something that is not theirs, purchased the rights or paid for the rights, and have then turned around and created comic books out of it. In this case, the novels from Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter series. This issue is the second issue of the new team. Marv Wolfman, he's gone. Uh, he is not writing this anymore. Um, Carmine Infantino, he is gone. He is not the artist on this anymore. Uh, Rudy Nebrez, he is gone, kind of. Uh, he's still doing inks on the covers, but he's not doing any of the interior inks. And it's different. This is a whole new series. The Marv Wolfman era is one thing in and of itself, and it is a very, very good thing. And based on what I've read about half of the, the, the omnibus volume that I have of John Carter, Warlord of Mars, the Marv Wolfman stuff makes it worth the purchase. The question is, will the other stuff, the back half of the series, is that worth the purchase as well? Well, we have the Chris Claremont era i don't I'm, I'm not sure how long he's going to be on this but he has done the last two issues as writer ernie colon has done the last two issues as penciler bob layton is the inker of this issue rudy nebrez was the inker of the previous issue uh and so he, rudy nebrez like i said was kind of the holdover from that that previous team um costanza's letters and um uh, let's see who who this person is that did the the color uh, Bob Sharon is the colorist. Uh, Roger Stern is editor. Jim Shooter is editor in chief. And uh, but the cover, I mean, if we want to start at the cover, looks fantastic. It's Gil Kane. It's Rudy Nebras. 
Uh, Gil Kane is the penciler. Rudy Nebra is the the inker. And the cover looks like what's come before. It has just that vital uh, aura of danger and of passion and of anger and of strength. I mean, John Carter, he's lean, but he is not a huge He-Man type of guy. Uh, when I say a huge He-Man type of guy, I mean He-Man in the Masters of the Universe, not He-Man in the, the most the more general uh, terms. And they're surrounded by these ghostly, ghastly looking creatures with wings and glowing eyes and um, silhouettes. So they're not, you know, you can't really make out any details except for one hand. Hell, uh, the, well, actually, the arm goes along the side, but the hand is holding a sword. And uh, it just looks like they're about to be attacked by some demonic or at, at the very least just vile, evil creatures. And it says, trapped by the savage Orivars. And then it says uh, on the cover, What Price Victory, which is the title inside uh, as well of, of this chapter. And then you turn and you look at the opening splash page. And any, any effect that, that cover had, any effect that, that cover had is instantly just canceled. Just canceled this opening splash page i mean i don't want to maybe i i do want to bury the lead no i'm not gonna bury the lead i'm gonna just go i'm just gonna go there right now this opening splash page is the pits man it is not great it is not great at all okay i don't like speaking bad about people um i don't like speaking bad about creators and, and creative people uh this I don't know what you can blame this on if Ernie Colon just doesn't have a handle on things or if this is just a rush job or, and this is quite possible, Bob Layton was having a difficult time interpreting Ernie Colon's pencils and it just is not a good mix. I mean, Ernie Colon, he's one of those people that he he is a long time, long time worker in comics and he, you know, he, he has a, a well-known name for good reason. I mean, he has done a lot of different things for Marvel and DC. Uh, you know, just looking quickly through his credits, um, he's done, he, he was doing Eric Son of Thunder. He did stuff for Gold Key with Dr. Solar and he did Amethyst, uh, Princess of Gem World. Uh, and these are all things that, things that I'm familiar with that are really, really well done. Uh, there are lots of other things that I'm not familiar with, but um, he did Bullwinkle and Rocky. That's a surprise to me. Um, he worked on Underworld, which is a comic about um, police officers from the late 80s and uh, Power Pack, Mighty Mouse, uh, Dreadstar. I mean, he, he's done a lot of things, a lot of things, and he's done them well. And so I, when I complain here about the art, I, I'm saying these things, but... This can't be representative of Ernie Colon's uh, talent and, and skill level. Bob Layton, on the other hand, he is someone who I really admire as an artist. And this is earlier in his career than the stuff that I'm familiar with that he did. But this just oh, the, the facial expressions on these characters looks some of them. They don't evoke any emotion in me when I look at them. I mean, one is supposed to be just. I think fearful and terrible, but it's just laughable and just the way that the bodies are contorting and uh, the, 
hair or whatever, or headdresses of these creatures. The last issue ended on these characters, uh, Dejah Thoris and, and John Carter. There's these weird shadow beings coming toward them. And it's it's moody, it's effective, but then you turn the page in my omnibus here, and by omnibus, I mean the omnibus that I use as a time machine. Actually, that'd be a great time machine vehicle, the omnibus. Wow. Maybe that's what our time machine is called for the comic book time machine. Anyway, you turn the page, and it's just like we, we went from this really kind of moody panel into this ridiculous, goofy panel where John Carter leaps into action and he elbows this one warrior in the throat and it just looks goofy. It just it just doesn't work. It just doesn't. Now, there are some panels that do work. There are some panels, especially, I mean, you, you, not to uh, cast aspersions, but um, the panels of Dejah Thoris's body uh, seem to have a lot more time and attention spent on the anatomy and making sure that the you know all the foreshortening works uh you know of the limbs and uh, you know that the uh proportions of the anatomy are all you know in proportion but uh you know like when i'm talking about the arms and the and the legs and that kind of thing it, but then the men the male characters they just don't they just don't unless it's a very simple panel uh, there's some odd panels where you just can't even tell, you know, what body part belongs to what person. You know, there's this fight scene on one of the pages where they're attacking John Carter and you can't tell whose arms are whose. And it just but looking at it, I just can't help thinking that it's possibly uh, a disconnect between Bob Layton and Ernie Colon. I'm hoping and I think that's the benefit of the doubt that I'm going to give to this, but it just it just dampens the whole mood of the story for me and the story is not that bad uh now i'm surprised to see that uh those creatures in that shadowy panel are actually angels i mean that's really what they look like they all have white wings they all wear no shirts but they all have very fit bodies uh very strong bodies and it it just feels like i and i, I believe once you get into the story that that's what they are supposed to look like. I think that the angel imagery is meant to be what we think of when we look at these creatures. John Carter fights these these uh, people, and he's defeated. Now, this is unusual, somewhat. He is very strong, but the effects of the poisoning from last issue, the drugs that rendered him to be presumed dead, and he woke up in the tomb last issue after he had been buried because they thought he was dead, those drugs are still affecting him. And so he is defeated. He is knocked unconscious and he wakes up and he's lying in a bed in this palace and he doesn't know where he is. He sees a slave woman. Uh, she sees him and then she runs away. And so he wanders around and, find some clothes because he was basically in, a, in his swimsuit and uh, he puts on a, a belt and and uh, he doesn't have his his harness that he can wear but he's looking around for the master of the palace as he wanders around he is surprised to meet a man who has white skin like his own now we've already seen the angel people uh, who had white skin like him 
But, you know, that's unusual here on Mars. He is the only one where, who has uh, typical white skin that you would have from a Caucasian person here on Earth. Everyone else has these um, very bright, different colors, you know, like the, the green Martians and the red Martians and all that kind of stuff. Dejothoris being one of the reds. So he meets Garthan of Carinthor, all right, who welcomes John Carter, says he's a friend, gives, uh, gives him a harness to wear uh, on his chest and back. And so now John Carter once more looks a lot more regal and a lot more John Carter-ish. He's got swashbuckling boots. He's got the harness. He's got the, I don't know what you call it, where it has the cloth hanging in the front, the cloth hanging in the back. But he's got that again as well. And that's going to make him look appropriately swashbuckling as he is moving around, even as he's just walking around. So he's got his clothing and he also has a warning from Garthon. If you value Deja Thoris's life, don't let anyone know she's your wife. And then he slips away. No, not not John Carter, um, the the uh, the guy Car Garthon. Sorry, Car Garthon. Garthon slips away, but then John Carter turns around, and there is another of these people, and this is Gar Karas. Jedwar of the armies of Karanthor. And this guy is based on the the panel here, this guy is like 16 feet tall, maybe maybe 14, maybe 18. I'm not sure what he's meant to be, but his body proportions, he he looks like a He-Man character. He really really does. He looks like he could have been molded out of plastic and you know, he just has straighter arms and straighter legs than the He-Man action figures had but this guy also kind of counts john carter as a friend and he then takes john carter to a, a banquet and we find out that deja thoris is actually in the slave pens and so J john carter goes to the this feast with all the other winged warriors of Carinthor, and john carter sits with them and tells his story but he's not believed he's not believed and here's why uh, I'm going to read some of this stuff because this page here has a lot, a lot of of uh, exposition. Now, we do see another, uh, some some more slaves, I should say, and they are all women who have uh, red skin like Dejah Thoris. And so John Carter says, you don't believe me, do you? And uh, uh, Gar, <laughs> these names, uh, Gar Carthan, no, Gar Karis, Gar Karis says, our beliefs tell us that this great canyon is all that exists of Barsoom, that the cliffs hold up the sky, and that beyond them lies non-existence or hell. And so we have this kind of heaven place, and I think it's meant to feel like this is a, a place that is cut off from the rest of Barsoom. And so then... Um, as he's eating, he's <laughs> Gar Karis says, you pose something of a problem, my friend. Your skin is white, which marks you as one of the true born, as does your great strength. Yet you are wingless and small in stature like our red skinned slaves. John Carter then says, you speak of the red skinned people with such contempt, Gar Karis. Why? 
And the answer is, you, they are an inferior race, cast down from the heavens to serve the trueborn, the men with their backs, the women with their other charms. It is no less than they deserve. Ten of their strongest men cannot equal the fighting prowess of one winged warrior. John Carter says uh, in the narration that not, not out loud, but in narration says, I had heard such sentiments before on a friend's plantation in Virginia before the ill-fated war of secession. I did not like them then. I do not like them now. So then we find out that um, Gar Karras is going to give John Carter uh, all the privileges and rights that he gives any guest as of now. And they've been summoned to the Jeddak's palace. Now, the Jeddak is like the king, like the, the ruler. Uh, it's a Barsoom word. Uh, Dejah Thoris is actually, you know, she is the daughter of, of a line of, of Jeddak's. And so they are going there. And then you turn the page and there's a splash page. And it is an awesome, awesome splash page. It's a simple splash page. But here, you know, you think we're in the you know, this like above on a, on some sort of high Olympic mountain, Olympus type mountain. And it turns out that we are in just this huge Canyon cavern kind of thing. The cavern is so big that there are mountains below that actually have uh, clouds, but then there are mountain sized stalactites that are hanging or stalagmites, whichever. I can't remember which one is the kind that hangs, but they are actually, you know, the same size as those mountains and then they have these uh, walkways that go from stalagmite or stalactite to stalagmite or stalactite, whichever is which. Um, and it's just this enormous, gigantic cavern. And so I'm not sure, based on the art, if the sky that he was talking about is actually the stone uh, ceiling of this cavern. Or if they do have some access to the actual sky outside, because they do show blue skies outside the windows of the buildings. But that might just be a, a continuity error with the coloring or something. But it's a really cool place. And so there's some cool stuff going on here. You've got this civilization, this mystery of this civilization of people who have white skin, like earth people with white skin, but they also have wings and, and some of them are giants and others of them are not, but they're all very, very strong, like John Carter, which would explain also why he, they are able to take him down. It's like when Superman fought, you know, other Kryptonians and Superman too. I mean, they all had the same power as him. And so, you know, maybe one-on-one -on -one he could take them down, but it'd still be an even fight. And, and that's a kind of a similar situation here. And you add to that that he's still suffering from the effects of the drugs. Now, the Jeddak is a jerk, and they, they make that pretty clear early on, just the way he looks, his face, and the way he kind of laughs at John Carter. And then we find out that they've been summoned to come to a an auction. And this auction is, of course, for Dejah Thoris. And that's a problem <laughs> because as you know, everything John Carter does, he does for her. And so the bidding starts and John Carter is told, you know, be careful. Uh, don't worry. And, you know, he, you know, there's, there's a classic line while we live, we had hope at least, but, uh, 
as as much as the bidding is going up because she is very dignified and she stands there very proud and everyone is bidding on her. People are bidding entire fortunes on her, their entire household's wealth. They're bidding it on Deja Thoris because she's just that incredible. But then the slave master tears her cloak away, leaving her in just uh, basically the bikini bottom uh, or you know, underwear, I guess. But, you know, she's just there exposed for everyone. It says the crowd goes crazy, goes mad. And John Carter is about to go mad. But uh, his friend Gar Karras uh, puts his hand on John Carter's shoulder and says, be calm. I will save your woman. Just be calm. And, and so the, they're bidding this tanpi kind of thing. And already people have bid entire fortunes. Garkaris bids 1 million tanpi and the bidding keeps going and keeps going. It comes down be- between Garkaris and the second in command of the army, Kandar. And Garkaris wins 20 million tanpi, which it's described in here as saying a man could build a fair-sized navy for less. John Carter is relieved, but Kandar is not happy challenges John Carter to a battle and John Carter wins the battle even though the winged warrior flies him up to the heights of the building uh, John Carter is unarmed <laughs> but of course he's going to win and uh, he is he wins by just taking the guy's dagger and, and stabbing him on their way as they fly toward the, the ground and then he uses the uh, looks like he uses uh Kandar's body to cushion the the fall or something I don't know but um John Carter he he wins of course and now because he has won this he wins the rank and the possessions of the vanquished and so he is now second in command of the forces of Karanthar or Karanthor or, or whatever so he has won that. But what price victory? Remember the title? The price is Deja Thoris. The Jeddak, and the, the way that uh, Gar Karas explains it to uh, John Carter is, Chan Tomar decided that Deja Thoris must be an exceptional woman to merit such a champion as you. He felt an exceptional woman deserved an exceptional man. Him. Forget her, warrior. She is lost to you Forever, the Jeddak has taken Deja Thoris to be his personal slave. And the final panel, there's no captions to describe the emotion that John Carter is going through, but he has fallen to his knees with a red background behind him and red floor below him, his arm raised, his head bowed, his voice crying out, Deja! With only two exclamation points, which is a pet peeve of mine. I hate it when there's only two punctuations. One punctuation is fine. Three punctuations is fine. But two just feels like you're just not going the extra mile. You know, it's like one exclamation point says there is reason to be excited. Three says it's even more. Two just feels blah, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to change the world with my personal grammar gripes. Anyway, next issue, Tars Tarkas fights alone again, <laughs> apparently. Poor guy. He always ends up alone. Uh, 
so that's the story and that's kind of the art. Here's the problem. I mean, that whole battle scene that I just described, the art's not great. And so the final battle is described through captions and that's good. I mean, the captions are kind of overwritten. Chris, Chris Claremont, he's known for using lots and lots of words, but here you would not know exactly what was happening if there weren't uh, an explanation. Basic anatomy is off. Poses are awkward. Characters change size. Now, specifically, I'm thinking of Gar Karras, his character changing size compared to uh, John Carter. But even faces change to where uh, you can tell who people are by their facial hair and by their the color of their hair. But from one panel to another, the 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 general look just changes. It feels amateurish, and I hate saying it. And again, I think it's because of a disconnect with Inker and the penciler, not any lack of talent on either of their parts. But this feels like when I was getting into comics uh, in the '90s, and you had so many. Um, you know, small press comics. This feels like one of those small press comics where it's done by someone who, you know, has some talent, but just isn't quite 100% there to create a really stellar product. And this is not a stellar product. The story is interesting. And what happens after this will determine if it lives up to the Wolfman stuff. Uh, The story has promise, but the artwork in this particular issue is... And I, I don't I don't usually go there. I, I don't critique art very much because, honestly, I'm more of a story guy. Uh, I read comics for the story. And so when there's art like this that's off-putting to me, it really gets in the way of the story. So I hope that the art will get better. We will find out next issue. But in the next issue, Tars Tarkas will fight alone. So we will see what happens there. Next up, we will be looking at some more Jack Kirby stuff in the Ben's Bullpen Bulletin segment of Marvel's Cosmic Comics. That means we'll be looking at uh, Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur and also just taking a peek at what else is going on in Marvel for the month. Well, the cover date month, I should say, of October 1978. Until then, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I would love to hear any counterpoints on this issue of John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Maybe I'm way off. Maybe my eyes are just not really doing a good job of seeing what's being presented to me. I mean, maybe it's one of those things, you know, I could never see those things where you're supposed to like unfocus your eyes. Anyway, I just want to thank you for listening. And if you have a counterpoint, please, please let me know. And we can take a look at it maybe in the next Ben's Pulpin Bulletin. But until next time, I just want to say thank you for taking this journey with me and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, what Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time.
Next episode, Ben's Bullpen Bulletin featuring Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur. I'm Chad Bokelman. You may know me from the Green Lantern podcast, The Lantern Cast. You also may know me from making promises across the comics podcasting community concerning a new project I've been working on. An Action Comics Weekly podcast, to be precise. Well, it's time to deliver on that promise. The Action Comics Weekly podcast is a bi-weekly podcast featuring myself and a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts discussing the characters appearing in the comic series of the same name from the late 1980s. So, starting this summer, join me and Mark Marble as we discuss Green Lantern. For all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted, <laughs> Star Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. Jay Jones as we discuss Wild Dog. He straight up, like you said, he, he murders these people. And that's that's not my DC Comics. That's not superheroic at all. Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. But the story, this story is, it's it's not bad. It's not great. It's it's like the character himself. It's like, he's just, it's just there. It just exists. Ben Avery as we discuss The Secret Six. So when I read this alone, as I was reading through this, this issue, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction, and without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like you know, the, the second chapter as much. Doug Zavisha, as we discuss Dead Man. <laughs> well, it's, it's a kind of a waffly Dead Man story. It wants to be a dead man story. It starts to be a dead man story. It forgets it's a dead man story. And then it comes back to being one. Um, all in the span of eight pages. Alan Middleton as we discuss Blackhawk. That there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm -hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that tapping into that fertile story. And Michael Bailey, as we discuss Superman. There is really no way to tie this two-page strip into that. So it really exists in its own world at a time where the Superman books were becoming more and more linked. So it's this oddity on a number of levels. And many other characters featuring many more guest hosts along the way. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast, coming soon, summer 2016. Find us on Facebook for more details.